Praise the Lord. Did you bring your Bible to church? Amen. If you brought your Bible, take it, please, and go to the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to give you a minute to find that because that is a little harder to find. Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to read a few verses there. This morning we're going to begin a new sermon series out of the book of Habakkuk. And it's a minor prophetic book. It's called Minor Prophets because there are 12 prophets in the Bible who wrote shorter books. They're called the Minor Prophets. It doesn't mean that their prophecies were not significant. They just wrote less than the major prophets. In any case, Habakkuk is one of them. He's in the last few pages of the Old Testament. And he writes from a time of great turmoil and great change in the nation of Israel. Habakkuk writes prior to the fall of Israel to the Babylonians. And he is going to witness the rise of the Babylonian Empire. So he's living in a time of great change and a season of world history that is much like our own. You and I are living in times of great change. I don't know if you've noticed or not. I hope you're paying attention that the world all around us is in movement and change. And in the midst of this, he cries out to God and he says, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, The oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, How long, O Lord, will, you, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look with, on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and con contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And then God answers him in verse 5. And he says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished and wonder, because I am, going, I am doing something in your days which you would not believe even if it were told to you. And then we'll go to chapter 2 and verse 4. And he says there, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. How many of you are living by faith this morning? The righteous will live by faith. Father God, we thank you for your living word, which is life-giving and powerful. I thank you today that you are meeting us and meeting our needs and that you have a word for us. We pray that you would empower us by the word to live the life of faith in these days. I pray that you would anoint us to do the work that you've called us to do as Kingsway Church. And today that you would anoint me to preach your word. In Jesus' name and for the glory of God, we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're also glad to welcome our young people back from their weekend youth camp. And we pray that God's word will have made a great impact in their life as well. Tell your neighbor, you don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. Now tell the other neighbor, you don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. The 
famed evangelist of the last century, R.W. Schambach, those of you who are a little older might have heard of him or know him, he would begin his radio program with that statement, you don't have a problem, all you need is faith in God. And he told a story of how that phrase, how that saying came along. It was one of the uh, quotes that he used and was uh, famous for. He said one day he was invited to eat after church. He was a tent evangelist. He preached in a great big uh, circus tent and led thousands of people to Christ. God used him in divine healing. And a man invited him out to dinner, and while they were at dinner, he said, uh, Brother Shambach, I want to tell you my story, how I became a Christian. He said, I was living a life of success. I worked for the federal government. I was making good money. I had my house paid off. I had my cars paid off. I had a good savings account and a good checking account. Things were going well. Everything was moving and progressing in an upward direction. And then he said, suddenly trouble came into my life. He said, I experienced a, a, a spinal meningitis and a rheumatoid arthritis. And between those uh, devastating things, he said, I became completely paralyzed, unable to move and living with constant pain, chronic pain. He said, I began to invest my money and trying to find solutions and the doctors couldn't find any healing for me and uh, before you knew it my savings began to evaporate and my checking account began to dwindle. I started having to dip into uh, all the resources that I had just to cover my medical expenses and he said one day I got so sick I fell into a coma and was in the hospital for three months. At the end of those three months, he said, I, uh, they thought I was going to die. They gave me up for dead, and so they called my priest. And he came, and he performed the last rites, the uh, final unction that the Catholic Church provides to those on their deathbed, extreme unction. And he said, I could hear him, and I could discern everything he was saying and doing, but I couldn't say anything to him. I couldn't speak to him. He said, and then he left the room after he had finished his prayers. He said, and when he left the room, another man walked in. He said, this man was dressed in, in white, completely dressed in white. And he came down to my ear and he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And I have come to raise you up. And then he said these words. He said, you don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. He said the next few minutes the lady or the nurse came in to pull the sheet over his face only to find him standing up, getting dressed and ready to walk out of that hospital completely delivered by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, do you still believe in miracles? Do you still believe in miracles? This morning I have a simple message for you. You don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. Habakkuk brings to God his problems. Problem number one is found in verse two. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear me? He has a problem with the silence of God. 
Many people experience, most people experience the silence of God because they don't know God, they don't walk with God. And that is a terrible place to be, no doubt. Uh, to live without a sense of the direction of the divine uh, creator in your life, to, know, to not know God as your father and not enjoy his voice uh, is a sad and a sorrowful thing. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. How many of you hear the voice of God? I'm not talking about hearing voices. I'm talking about hearing the voice, the voice of the creator, the voice of the father who leads and directs your life. Isaiah was told there will be a voice from behind you saying, go to the right, go to the left. This is the way, walk in it. But even the most God-fearing, righteous believer will someday walk through seasons of silence. Seasons when it seems as though God is not talking as though God is not interested in communicating and uh, not interested in giving any new in, in, in instructions or any words of encouragement. And if you've ever gone through a season of silence, then you know what a problem it is like it is for Habakkuk. You know why he says to God, God, how long will I call to you for help and you will not hear me? Friends, when you experience the silence of God, there are a couple things you need to do. First of all, when you hear the si when you experience the silence of God, you need to continue to obey the last instruction that he gave you. Continue to live on and follow the last instruction that he gave you. You know that God told Noah to build an ark and then he didn't give him any more instructions for a hundred years. One time he heard from God. The next time he heard from God, God said, uh, first, get in the ark or build the ark. Second, the, a hundred years later, he said, get in the ark. And, and then after the flood, he said, come out of the ark. That's all God said to him. But God is looking for somebody who doesn't need a daily encouragement, but just simply says, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. And even if I can't hear you, I know that I can depend on you. Come on, somebody. You can trust in God. When you experience the silence of God, I encourage you to open your Bible and read the word of God because that is the voice of God in your life. Habakkuk didn't have the uh, the comfort of a holy Bible. He didn't have a King James or a New American Standard or even an NIV. But you and I have the word of God in our hands. And when you experience the word of God, turn to the word of God. When you experience the silence of God, turn to the word of God. And you will find that his word is life-giving and strength-restoring. That it is the balm of Gilead. That it is the, the uh, nourishment of the spirit of man. And that it has the answer that you seek in days of trouble and trials. His second problem, he comes to God and he says, God, I don't see you working. I know that if you did something, that things would change, things would get better. And uh, I know that you're capable of working miracles. I know that you're capable of turning things around. But I don't see you moving. And this, friends, is the problem of the inactivity of God. When we don't see God moving and we don't see him working, at least in a way that we can discern, this is a place 
uh, which Habakkuk comes to of despair and wondering that if God is powerful, why doesn't he use his power to put things right, to, to restore the broken things, and to heal this nation? He saw uh, Israel uh, descending down the slippery slope of idolatry and immorality. He saw them getting further and further away from God. And he wondered, God, why won't you do something? Friends, no nation can ever separate itself from God and prosper and have peace for long. The Bible says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And America right now is descending down that same slippery slope, faster every moment toward its demise. But God is looking for somebody who will call upon him in the day of trouble and ask God to have mercy in the day of wrath and to send revival and uh, to the land and believe that he'll send it. Come on, somebody. Do you still believe that God can send revival to broken nations and to broken peoples? But he says, God, I don't see it. I don't see you doing anything in my life. His third problem was the problem of injustice. Have your children ever said to you, it's not fair? Have you ever used that expression with God? God, it's not fair. I go to church on Sundays. I go to church on Wednesday nights. I tithe. I give in the offering. I, I pack a shoebox every winter. And it's not fair, the things I'm going through, the trouble I'm facing and he comes to God with the problem of injustice, just like David. David said, I, I saw that the unrighteous, the wicked, were prospering. They seemed to be doing well. They, they always had what they wanted and needed. And he said, and I looked at the righteous struggling. And, and David said, I despaired. And, and I thought God was unjust. And then he says, but then I went into the house of the Lord. Friends, when you are struggling with the fairness of God and the injustice you see around you, what do you need to do? You need to go into the house of the Lord, into the presence of the Lord. And David said, when I went into the presence of the Lord, I saw that the wicked are going to meet their end someday. Everybody will answer to God eventually, but the righteous will be delivered from all of his afflictions. Come on, somebody. Do you trust God to do things in your life? And to make things right in your life. And maybe right now it might look like nothing is moving in the right direction. You might say, God, it's not fair. But God answers Habakkuk. And I want you to take these uh, four things to heart this morning. Because we're living in similar times to those of Habakkuk. And first of all, God's answer to Habakkuk is in his name, the name Habakkuk means embraced by God. I want you to say that with me out loud this morning. I am embraced by God. He says to him, Habakkuk, I have you in my arms. I know you don't understand. I know you don't get it. I, don't, I know it doesn't all make sense. I know it looks like it's not fair, but you are embraced by God this morning, whatever challenge you might be facing, whatever questions might go unanswered in your life, you can have this assurance that you, as a child of God, have been scooped up into the, under the arms of the Almighty Father. He cares for you. He will protect you. He says he will cover you under his wings and under his shadow. You will find refuge. You have been embraced by the Almighty God of heaven. Come on, somebody, give him praise this morning. You are in the shelter of the Most High. 
a barn burned down in a farm. And the next morning, the farmer was walking through the heap of ash and rubble. Disappointed and no doubt angry at the situation. He saw a, a pile of ashes and he, he kicked it with his, with his boot. And when he kicked it over, uh, out came running five or six little chicks that had somehow miraculously survived the, the burning of the, of the barn. And he investigated a little more and he realized that what he had kicked was not just an, uh, an ash heap, but it was the carcass of that mother hen. Because that night as the barn was uh, burning and all around her was engulfed in flames, she took her chicks under her wings and she uh, covered them with her body and saved them from their trouble. This, friends, is a perfect picture of our almighty God. That he has taken us under his wings and sheltered us. And he says, under my wings you will find refuge. You have been embraced by the almighty God. Somebody ought to give him praise this morning. You're not alone. You're in the hands of the almighty father. Number two, he says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Look to the nations. Observe. He says, Habakkuk, I want to talk to you now. I want to have a dialogue with you. When you're going through times of difficulty and times of struggle, when you're going through dark times or have unanswered questions, keep the dialogue open with God. Don't stop the conversation with God. The, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, pray without ceasing. That means that we should have a constant and daily dialogue with the Almighty. God is interested in talking to you. And he is interested in you talking to him. The Bible says that the, the righteous man cries and God hears him. That he is near to the brokenhearted and he hears their cry. This morning you are uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship with the almighty God. And this relationship is cultivated by prayer. It's cultivated by communion with God. The Bible says we have communion with God and uh, with his son Jesus Christ. And when the believer learns to keep the dialogue open. Even though sometimes it might seem as though there is a, uh, a, a, a sense of foreboding and darkness and uncertainty. That when you are dialoguing with God, you can have this assurance that whatever I need to know, he'll tell me. And I can have the guidance and the direction of the Almighty in the day of my trouble. Sometimes that dialogue ends because of sin in our life. When we let sin come into our life, and offenses come into our heart many times, we stop talking to God. We stop reaching out to him. And maybe you've done that, and maybe you are estranged from him in that sense. This morning, he wants you to come to him in repentance. The Bible says, take words and acquaint yourself with God. You have to take words this morning. Use your words to repent before the Lord. Use your words to, to get your heart healed. And to get your soul restored, come to God in prayer. 
And the Bible says that if you will confess your sin to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And this morning you said, Pastor, I haven't, I haven't talked to God in a long time. God is not fickle about it. If you'll come to him in humility and in, a, and in a faith, he will receive you and he will open up his heart to you and he will talk to you and give you the word that you need in the hour that you needed prayer is the answer for the dilemma of your heart this morning. Because if you call upon him, he says, call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. If you haven't called upon him lately, call upon him now. You say, preacher, I don't know how to pray. Just call on his, on his name. Call on the name of Jesus, and he will answer you, and he will deliver you out of all your troubles. Come on, who still believes in the power of prayer this morning? If you read through the book of Habakkuk, you'll see the dialogue between the prophet and God. The prophet gives his perspective and God gives his perspective. I want you to notice something about God's answer. He says to him, look to the nations and observe. We'll explore that in just a moment, but just realize that that's not what Habakkuk was asking about. Has it ever seemed to you that God never answers the question? Why does God always answer a different question? He's asking about why are you quiet and why are you, uh, uh, are you letting me see unfairness and injustice? And God is talking about, look, look at the nations. I don't want to look at the nations. I want you to answer my questions. This is the reason why we see it also in the ministry of Jesus. The disciples would ask Jesus a question and he would give them an answer, but it was never the answer to the question. The reason is that we talk to God from a carnal and natural perspective. We want to talk to God from where we are standing, from what we see. When God answers, he doesn't answer carnally, he answers spiritually. And oftentimes, God's answer doesn't match our question because we're asking the wrong question. We're asking a question based upon the natural when God is giving us a, an answer that uh, relates to the spiritual. In other words, sometimes we think the problem is one thing and God has to say, no, the real problem is that you are far from me. The real problem is that you don't have a spiritual life. That you don't have a prayer life. The real problem is you're not forgiving your neighbor. The real problem is you're, you're carrying uh, 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 offenses and unforgiveness in your heart. You see, friends, that's why sometimes we don't get God's answer because we want God to deal on our level. He says, no, you're my child. I want you to come up. I want you to uh, think on my level because the Bible says that our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. But when the child of God will get into the presence of God and start to seek the face of God, you will discover that God's answer answers the question, but it answers the right question, and it solves the problem. That thing you thought was a problem really wasn't the problem. That God gets down to the issues of the heart, the things that need to be healed in our spiritual life. Friends, if you'll keep that dialogue open with God, you'll keep offenses out of your heart, 
and you will walk with him in humility. He will teach you how to think his thoughts, and he'll give you the mind of Christ. How many of you want the mind of Christ? Come on, how many of you want the mind of Christ? That's God's will for your life, to have the mind of Christ. To think like God thinks, to love what God loves, to despise what God despises, and to honor what God honors. Now here's the answer that he gets. And this is the third thing we'll look at this morning. He says, look among the nations and observe. Now this morning when you read that, I want you to understand this is a prophetic uh, time that we're living in right now. And whenever you see changes in the nations, you need to pay attention. Because these are signs of the time. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, he said that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Every time that God is about to make a, a major change in the world, you'll see the nations beginning to move and to shift. Right now we see the alliances of nations being formed some for, uh, for one and some toward the other. And this ought not to scare you. It ought not to alarm you or frighten you. It ought to encourage you that Jesus Christ is soon to return and that our king will soon come back to the earth. Come on, somebody. Are you waiting for Jesus? That's about 15 of you. I hope I can get the rest of you ready before he comes. Come on. Are you ready for Jesus? Are you waiting for Jesus? Look at the nations. You see the nations raging right now. They're raging against Israel. I want you just to think about how quickly, just within a matter of days, the hatred of the Jews has uh, gone up around the world, even in the United States. And just think, friends, the church could be on the receiving end of that in just a matter of moments. You and I need to look at that and realize that what Jesus said was would come to pass before the end is coming to pass. And he said, when you see these things, look up because your redemption is drawing near. I hope you're looking up this morning. I hope you're expecting him. I hope you're preparing. I hope you're living with purpose in your heart. I hope you're preaching the gospel. I hope you're winning souls. Look up, somebody. Jesus Christ is coming back again, and he's coming to rule and reign with power and with authority over the nations of the earth. At this time, Habakkuk was looking at the nations. He was seeing the nation of the Chaldeans that would uh, be known to us as the Babylonians. They were establishing themselves in might and power. They would soon become a world empire. Soon they would become so powerful they would take even Israel into captivity for 70 years. God says to Habakkuk the same thing he says to us. He says, look around, look at the nations and be astonished and wonder. Here's the third thing this morning is that you and I cannot lose the wonder. When you're going through hard times or difficult times and you wonder, where's God? What is God up to? I have all these problems. I have all these troubles. Don't lose the wonder. Don't lose the expectation of what God can do in your life. He says, look around and wonder. Be amazed because I am doing something in your days. Say that out loud. God is doing something in my days. Come on, aren't you excited about that? 
I said, God is doing something in my days. Habakkuk thought God was inactive. He was uninvolved. He was disconnected. God says, no, I'm not inactive. I'm not disconnected. I'm working. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean I'm not working. Let me just encourage somebody this morning. When you've been thinking, God, where are you? This isn't fair. God says, hey, you know what? I'm working. I know what I'm doing in your life. And you just sit up and have some hope and some expectation because I will do a work in your days that you would not believe if somebody told you, come on, somebody. You and I have to get our hope and our expectation up this morning that God is at work in our life. Listen, when you can't see the hand of God, you have to trust the heart of God. God is is doing something, and he's doing something good on behalf of the believer. Let the believer shout amen in the house of God this morning. I believe that God is up to something good in my life. I believe that God is up to something good in the life of your family. I believe that God is up to something good in the life of this church. I believe that God is up to something good in this nation. Oh, but it looks dark, yes, and things will get darker still. But the darkest, the darkness never stopped God. When God wants to show up, he'll show up, and he'll show off in your life. Just stand, and, and you will see the goodness of God in your life. Come on, is there's a believing church, shout amen. Have you lost the wonder? Have you lost the amazement? Have you lost the astonishment of what it means to be a child of God? Have you lost the hope and expectancy of the fact that God is moving in your life? You remember when you first got saved, every prayer got answered. You prayed for a parking space at the front of the store, and there it was after the 15th time. You didn't have money to pay your light bill, and God showed somebody the problem and went and covered the bill, and you just saw God working and moving in your life, and you lived in constant amazement. I love to listen to my Bible school students. They'll find something in the Bible they think no one's ever read or heard of before. And I don't discourage them. I just act like I've never heard it either. But you see, sometimes as we walk this Christian journey, we lose the amazement, the astonishment, the wonder. God becomes commonplace and usual in our life. You can't afford to get to a place where you no longer have any expectancy, where you no longer have any hope, because the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the good things in your life, the breakthroughs in your life, the victories in your life come when there's hope and expectation in your life that God is up to something good and that God is doing a work in my time. I told you this story some weeks ago about the man who was on the railroad uh, passenger car, and and the the, the car had uh, the AC had gone out, so everyone was sweating and stuffy and uncomfortable. And this man was sitting there near the window, and every few minutes he would say, "Wonderful." A few minutes more, "Wonderful." Well, on a cross-country trip, that can get kind of annoying after a while. 
And finally his neighbor said to him, sir, he said, this is getting kind of annoying. What is so wonderful about everything? He said, oh, you don't understand. He said, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was completely blind. But I found a doctor who was able to restore my sight. And now everything is wonderful. Friend, have you lost the wonder? Or do you still remember the day that Jesus of Nazareth came into your life and restored your sight and gave you a new life and a new beginning? Come on, somebody. He is the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Don't ever let him become commonplace in your spiritual life. He says, wonder, Habakkuk, be astonished. Be amazed about the fact that I am doing something in your days. Something so good, so great that you would not believe it. Number four, he says in verse four of chapter two, live by faith. Tell your neighbor, live by faith. What is God saying to you this morning? He's saying, I have embraced you. You're in my arms. And I am in dialogue with you. You have communication with me, so you don't have to worry about anything that can happen in your life. Wherever you get there, I'll have an answer for you. And then he says, and I'm working in the, in the dark. I'm working behind the scenes. But now he says, you have to do something you have to live by faith. Habakkuk gives us this, these famous words are quoted four times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. This morning, the answer for every human dilemma is the same. That you and I must live by faith in God. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means that the entire relationship with God, the entire Christian life is built on faith. You can't get saved without faith. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're, if you're, if you're not saved and you don't know it, I wouldn't leave this church this morning without making sure that you were saved. But listen, friend, you can't save yourself. You can't do enough good works to make God forgive you of your sin. Our sin far outweighs any of our works or any of our righteousness. Compared to the righteousness of God, the Bible says our works are like filthy garments. But God has made salvation available to every human being. He says, by grace, through faith, you have been saved. You can be saved this morning by putting your faith in Jesus. By putting your confidence in Christ for your salvation. By saying, God, I'm not going to try to save myself. I'm going to receive the finished work of Christ on the cross for my life. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth one confesses that simple act. You say, how could a confession make me saved? Because it's an act of faith. 
the turning of your heart to God by faith that brings salvation to the human heart. Without it, you can't be saved, but with faith, by faith, you can be saved this morning. Faith is the entire foundation of the Christian life. The just shall live by faith. Not only are we saved by faith, we're born again by faith, but we live the life of faith. That means that whenever a problem comes into our life, we say, God, I trust you with this problem. I trust you with this situation in my life. We say, God, I have confidence in you that you're able to do this. The Bible said they believed, therefore they spoke. Faith speaks. Faith has a voice. And this morning, you need to activate the voice of faith in your life and believe that what God is, has spoken in his word, he can do in your life. That what God has spoken with his mouth, he can perform with his hand in your life. It's a lifestyle of faith. When you have more bills than money, you live by faith. When you have a loved one in the hospital, you have to live by faith. When you get that new job, you have to live by faith. When you're asking God to do something great in your life, it's all faith, friends. The entire foundation of the Christian life is by faith. And if you and I will live by faith, you will find the pleasure of God in your life. He said, Habakkuk, you've got to live by faith. You've got to trust me when you don't see me. And you've got to do what I told you to do even when it doesn't make sense. Because that's faith too. To do what God has commanded, what God has instructed, even when it doesn't make sense to the human mind. But we do so because we're walking by faith. We read in the New Testament that we walk by faith and not by sight. Why, friends? Because God is not only pleased by faith, but he's glorified by faith. When you do what you can do, you get the credit. But when God does what only God can do, God gets the credit. That's why every single thing in your life is going to require one element of faith or another. Every great thing, every great breakthrough in your life is going to require your part and God's part. And God has left a part in there that you can't do. He's left a piece of every project, every calling, every assignment, every miracle. There's a piece of it that only he can do. Why? So that when you get across the finish line, you have to say, look what the Lord has done. God is a God who is glorified by the faith of his people. Come on, is there any faith in the house of God this morning? That's why I can stand before you confidently this morning and tell you, you don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. Why? Because faith in God will open doors. Faith in God will bring healing to, to the sick. Faith in God will deliver captives. Come on, somebody. You ought to get excited this morning. God is up to something good in your life. You don't have a problem. You don't have a situation God can't solve. You don't have an impossible uh, 
an impossibility. What you do have is a great God who works miracles, who delivers captives, who opens doors, who heals the sick, who saves the lost, who delivers drug addicts and, and makes them free. Come on, somebody. You have a God you can trust. Trust him when you can't see him. Trust him when you don't know what he's up to because you can know my God is a good God and he does all things well. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning.